Well, let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to two passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament, that's Genesis chapter 12, and one in the New Testament, that's, uh, of course, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, right there in front of you in the book rack, there is a red Bible, and that's on the New Testament passages on page 809. What we've been doing uh, for these last few weeks is taking the characters in the book of Hebrews and uh, talking about them. As you remember, when we started this journey in Hebrews, uh, the writer is trying to encourage new believers because they're, they've made this commitment to Christ, um, but their faith is becoming a little shaky. They're asking themselves, why did I really make this? Because the Christian life seems a whole lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And in that sense, uh, it applies to you and me today, doesn't it? We started this Christian journey. We thought, boy, we're going to jump on the bandwagon. We're going to join all those happy Christians at the church. And we're going to all get together and we're going to smile our way into heaven. And then after a period of time, we realized, hey, listen, I still have the same problems I used to have. In fact, I have a few more now. Because when I go to work, people look at me as kind of a Jesus person now, and I think I get a little persecution because of my new stand for Christ. And so we need encouragement like uh, like they did. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these people who have signed on for Christ. And how he does it is he goes back into the Old Testament and he takes some of those examples. And today we're going to use the example of Abraham, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Look at it with me, please. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We looked first of all at Abel, remember? We will always remember Abel because he worshiped God and God accepted his worship. He rejected Cain's. He accepted Abel's. And so when we think of Abel, we always want to think of this one word. That's he worshiped in the right way. And then remember we talked about Enoch, and uh, I think you'll remember that for a long time. Enoch, the Bible says, was out walking one day and walking with God, and God said, listen, why don't you just come home to heaven with me? And the scripture says he was translated. That means he was carried across from this world to the other world. He never came home that night. His wife probably contacted the missing persons department, said, listen, my husband is missing. We can't find him. They never did find him. God took him. He he was raptured. It's a picture of the rapture of the church. We believe one of these days the Lord is going to take his church off the face of this earth. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of Christians are becoming pretty interested in that right now. Because as as our world gets worse and worse, uh, we think about heaven more and more. So Enoch was taken away by God and he, he walked with God. And then there was Noah, and we'll always remember what Noah did, won't we? He did an incredible thing. He built this gigantic ark, and he worked for God. And so remember, we had, that, uh, we had those three points. Uh, Abel worshiped God, Enoch walked with God, Noah worked for God. Now we have another one this morning. Abraham went out for God. He did something extraordinary. He started a nation of faith. Here we have the beginning 
of the nation of Israel. You know, when we look at Israel today, we see this little speck on the map and all this conflict around them on every side. People are threatening to push them into the sea and to exterminate them. That's kind of the way it's always been for those people. But here's the beginning of their race and the, and the beginning of, their, of the institution of their country was started by God by calling one man uh, to begin this movement, a nation of faith. Abraham was his name. In the book of Genesis, we have a lot of beginnings. We have the beginning of the human race with Adam. We have the beginning of the, the, new, the new race under Noah. And then we have the beginning of the chosen nation in Abraham. Now, we've already seen how pleasing it is to be a person of faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But Abraham, always remember this, is God's prototype of faith. You know what a prototype is. If you go to the yearly Detroit car event up in Detroit, all the car manufacturers push out their prototypes. And, and they don't look very much like their normal models. They're, they're kind of wild in the way they look. And the manufacturer is saying, listen, one of these days we want to have these, these things incorporated in our cars. This is our prototype. Well, there's a prototype of a person in the Bible that God rolls out, and his name is Abraham. And God says to us, listen, I want you to look at him. There's been a lot of other people that's walked by faith, but no one like him. He is the total package, Abraham. The writer of Hebrews is teaching us in the church today to live by faith using these Old Testament examples. 1 Corinthians, we have that 10:11 says this. Let's read it this morning, please. All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. Now this is so interesting because you see that last line? Uh, I don't know about the people you're talking to, but the people I'm talking to believe that, that God's winding this whole thing down and the rapture and the end of the age is right in the future, very near. And so that makes this verse very applicable to us. And what he's talking about here is these events that happen in the Old Testament are written for you to be a warning to you who live at the time in which we're living today. And so you've heard the statement said many times, if a person doesn't learn from history, they're bound to repeat it, right? And so that's why in the New Testament you find God going back into history and saying, listen, don't you remember? what happened here. I don't want you to make these mistakes, or I do want you to follow them because they're good examples. At this particular time, right before the calling of Abraham, the world was going down through one of these tremendous low points in its history. There was this person, and I was just looking at this this last week, called Nimrod. How many people have ever heard of him? Raise your hand. Nimrod. The Bible in the book of Genesis talks about Nimrod. He was a kingdom builder. He was a rebel against God. The scripture says he was a mighty hunter. And I, I was reading a little bit on this and I found out that back in those days there was such a multitude of wild beasts in the world that God raised up a company of hunters just to keep the, the wild beast population down, kind of like our hunters try to keep the deer in check in South Park. They own the place, don't they? They really do. 
they kind of defy you to drive down their property. They own, I know they own Finleyville, Bethel Park, South Park. And so uh, we find that uh, Nimrod was a character like that. He became famous hunting and protecting people from these wild beasts. He also was a great builder, and the Bible says that he built Babel. He became very famous. And the people who, who, who built the Tower of Babel, you know the reason they built it. They said, listen, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want this tower to reach into heaven. We want people to remember us. And you know, that's not the kind of building project that God wants in our world today. He doesn't want a building project just for people to remember who built the project. If there is a building project, it needs to be to the glory of God. Amen? Uh, whether we eat or whether we drink or whether we build, we do all to the glory of God. And boy, that's the only glory that makes any sense in the long run, isn't it? The glory of God. And so these people built the Tower of Babel and God looked down. And the Bible says God did more than look down. He came down. And he said, listen, we have a problem here. These people are lifted up with pride. We have to change that. And so what he did is he confused their languages. And I think it was Al Finney just a couple weeks ago said that here in our church uh, that in the Philippines they had uh, 8,000 different languages today. And so I went into the computer, my faithful computer. I take it everywhere almost. And I, I said, I want to find out how many languages there are in the world. Well, he, I think Al was talking about dialects. But I did find that most people agree there's about 7,000 different languages in our world. And beyond that, there's about 40,000 dialects in the world. And there are many, many thousands of languages that the Bible has never been translated into. Uh, they, have a, they have a verbal language. They don't have a written language. And so the Wycliffe Bible translators are working real hard, working real hard uh, to make some headway. And it's their goal by the year uh, 25, 2025, uh, to have uh, the Bible in, at least started in some form in all the major languages. It's quite a hefty goal. It really is. And so God came down and he, uh, and he confused the languages. And boy, I'll tell you what, he did a good job, didn't he? Amen. He did an excellent job. And then in the midst of all of this problem on planet Earth, God's solution, now listen to this, God's solution was Abraham. God's solution. Usually that's what God does when he has a solution. He raises up a person through whom he can work. And he, and he calls Abraham. At the time, Abraham is living, and I think we have the, uh, our little uh, map there. Over here on the right, down on the bottom, we have uh, Ur, U-R. That's, that's modern-day Iraq down there. That's where Abraham was living at that time. The scripture says he, that his family were idolaters. And so God called him down there and he said, I want you to go to the Holy Land. Now, if you see on the map, the Holy Land is directly across, but you see there's nothing there in the middle. I mean, that's not the way you travel to the Holy Land because you die en route. And so when they traveled to the Holy Land or the Canaan Land, they went up by the river there and so God called him while he was down there. That was the first call. And uh, he took off. And God says, listen, I want you to leave your family. Abraham didn't do that. 
He did go, but he took his family with him. His religious background was that of an idolater. And God says, I don't know how he met God, and I don't know how he had a confrontation or a meeting with God necessarily. But he became a believer in God, and he started to listen to what God said. And God said, listen, I want you to march west. And so he said, okay, I know how to do that. In order for me to go west, I have to go north, and then I have to go down, and eventually I'll get there. And the Bible says that he headed out, and he came to this place called Haran up here. And there the scripture says he stopped for a while and spent some time. Some people think maybe it was a family reunion that he was going to up there because in the scriptures you'll find some of his family members there. And then after a period of time, either five years or 15 years, he got another call from God. It's interesting how God, when when we are his children, how he calls us and tells us what to do. Uh, God wants us to actually do something with our life. You know that? He doesn't just want us to to do the normal routine. He wants to to stretch us out of our comfort zone. And boy, I'll tell you what, he was stretching Abraham's comfort zone here. Uh, And the reason why it was so hard for Abraham to leave his family, because back in that day, as in this day, that meant his security. You know, here's our missionaries. They're out on the field today. They, They leave behind security. Uh, And they go out and and they're saying, listen, they're dependent upon the church to send them some money so they can buy some bread to put food on the table. And And so Abraham was going to leave his plantation, so to speak, in the Ur, U-R, of the Chaldeans over there. And he was going to head out. That was his security. Uh, And so what he did is he took some of his family with him. And I I think we could deduce that that he obeyed God partially. He was not completely obedient to the Lord, incomplete obedience. That's what we do sometimes, right? God tells us to do something, and we say, okay, Lord, I'll do half of that. How about a third of it? And you know what happens is whenever we don't obey God completely, we miss the total blessing. We really do. We may get a partial blessing, but we miss the total blessing. And for sure, if we don't obey the Lord completely, and, and we kind of do, we stop there at Haran. Uh, any time we miss is wasted time. And so I want to encourage you. I know, I know you've had a busy summer and you've been running like crazy all summer. I know I have. And now we're kind of getting our feet planted back on the ground. The kids are starting school. And I want to encourage you to say, hey, listen, I'm going to make this fall and this winter the very best time I have with the Lord. I'm going to make my life count. I'm going to stop being partially obedient to the Lord. I'm going to be completely sold out to Christ. And so he called Abraham, and the second time he gives him this tremendous promise. Turn there with me, please, to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look there for a minute. And this is what we call a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. It's It's unconditional. God says, listen, I'm going to do something for you, Abraham. And this is what I'm going to do for you. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family. Now he didn't completely do this, but he did get out of his country. From your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
He said, I just want you to start moving west. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you. Let's just take these points one by one. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. The nation of Israel is, was, and will be always a great nation. And the reason why is because they are the chosen people of God. They are the nation that God has called in this world to be a beacon of light. Now, they haven't always been the beacon of light. Their light's gone out a number of times if you read history. But God's hand is on them and God says, listen, I'm going to make you a great nation, a beacon of light in the world. And you just think about this. How dark the world was until Abraham came on the scene and started telling the world that there was a true living personal God in heaven that they could worship rather than their idols. And so Abraham began to amass a following. And in Haran, the Bible says uh, that there were other people who joined with him on his, in his entourage to go to the Holy Land. Some people believe they were converts. They said to Abraham, listen, we see your commitment to God. We want to sign on too. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And let's go to the second thing. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you. You know, there's nothing as wonderful as the blessing of God can I have an amen? There's nothing as good as that. You know, the world may bless you, but they'll take it back real quick. You know that? The blessing of the, of the world is fickle. You know, once, one minute they're on your team, and the next minute you get, you got a dagger in your back. God's not like that. I'll tell you, when the Lord blesses you, always blesses you with something that's for, for good and for real. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. Now, Abraham has a great name. Have you ever bought a, a suit or a car off a guy named Abraham? Sure. He has a great name. Uh, what a blessing to be on God's page, to begin to realize that, that life has a higher meaning. The blessing of God would be more than... Uh, and what God was saying here, listen to this. God was saying, Abraham, I know you're giving up a lot because you're living, leaving your homeland and your security and your whatever lands you had and things. I know you're leaving that for me. But what I will give will more than compensate for what you leave behind. And that's true for God's people in every age. If you follow the Lord, you may have to leave some things behind. But what God gives you will always be better than that. His blessing is always better. And so he says, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Uh, and he had a great name because, because it's interesting. As we go through these people of faith, now we find that the whole rest of the Bible... Now, uh, the whole rest of the Old Testament is about Abraham and his descendants. Somebody, I, I saw a little cartoon one time about a boy was talking to his girlfriend on the phone and he was reading the Bible, kind of a different kind of kid. He was reading the Bible and he was saying to her, listen, I'm reading the Old Testament, it's all about the Jews, he said. It is. It's all about the Jews. They're God's people. They're God's chosen nation. Uh, and he says, I, I'm going to bless you Let's look at it. I'm going to, I'll make you a blessing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And so everywhere Abraham went, he was to be a blessing. And so that's what you and I are to be all about too. You know, we're to be a channel of blessing for this world. God's to bless us. We're to bless people. 
and that God uses you as a channel through which he blesses other people. And so that's, Abraham went on and, and he was a blessing wherever he went. And then he says, now this is interesting right here, look at it. He says, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. You know, it really pays uh, to be a blesser of the nation of Israel. Uh, I believe, and I've said this before, that the reason why I think America has been always so singly blessed in the world is because they have stood up for the nation of Israel. Uh, against all of the storms of the world and all the hatred and venom of the world vented against the nation of Israel, America has been a protector of the nation of Israel. And God says, listen, I'm going to bless those who bless you. The way to stay under the blessing of God is to stay, the, stay on the side of the nation of Israel. And then he says, I'm going to curse those who curse you. Now, I don't know if you've read about the curse of God in the Bible, but it's not a pretty thing. When God curses something, I think it's cursed, don't you? And so we find people cursing the nation of Israel all over. Listen, according to the Bible, God's cursing them. They are under the curse of God. And then he, then he gives this tremendous last thing here. He says, in you all the families of the earth should be blessed. That's a promise of the coming Messiah. Because it's through Abraham that we have our Savior. In fact, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, you know what he said to her? He says, salvation is of the Jews. That means that uh, Jesus came down through the lineage of Abraham. Well, Abraham, he, he launched out. He's got all this thing. Can you imagine? Here is this, this single person, and God says, listen, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he probably said, who, me? Me? I'm going to make you a blessing, Me? Through me, the world is going to be blessed. And so he headed out, he headed out by faith. Uh, and so uh, he, uh, he started out on, on his work for the Lord. Let's look at verse 6. We're in Genesis 12. Abraham passed through the land and to a place called Shechem, as far as the tabernacle tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. I'd like for you to underline that because that's significant. That's the price of faith. Uh, I'm sure that whenever you start to serve the Lord, you never know what you're getting into. And you're always surprised by the opposition you get. And so here's Abraham, and God says, God's appeared to him, and he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you in a wonderful way. And all of a sudden, he meets up with the Canaanites. Now, he went from the frying pan into the fire. He was living at home very comfortably, just kind of worshiping his own little idols down there. And now he is in a foreign land and all of these people, the Canaanites, he is confronted with. And so that's what happens to us when we come to Christ and we head out in the spiritual journey. You know, we, uh, people come to church and they say, listen, I want to sign on to be with the Lord. I, I want to live for Christ in my life. And then you go out into the world and you say, whoa, whoa, it's tough out here. There are Canaanites out here. There's people that hate God. And as a result, then, if I'm on the side of God, they, their hatred runs over right on me. And so, uh, and so what's happening here is God has to test his faith. You know, faith is not really faith unless it's really tested. 
You know, we can come and sing all the songs that we want to about the Lord and smile at everybody and shake hands with everybody. But I'll tell you what, you know, God is in the business of testing our faith to see if our faith is really real. There has to be a test of our faith. And, and I love 1 Peter 1.7. Let's look at that. Let's read it. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God tests our faith. He says, listen, I want you to have genuine faith and I want you to have pure faith. And in order to do that, I have to test your faith. I have to put the heat on you. I have to put you in situations that are uncomfortable. I have to see if you rely upon me and you can build your faith and make it stronger. And so Abraham was on his merry way and all of a sudden he's confronted with the Canaanites. And, uh, and then he did the right thing. Look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. You know, whenever we think we can't go on and whenever we think the trials get too hard, uh, God shows himself to us. And Abraham did the right thing. He built an altar. It's interesting that whenever you go back to Haran, remember Haran, the place that he stopped halfway? There were no altars there. But now he's out in the fight. And now he's in the enemy's territory. And so he has to have an altar to meet with God. It's wonderful to have an altar to meet with God, isn't it? It's just great. Because when all the pressure of life comes crashing down on you, I'll tell you what, there's a place... There's a refuge that we can turn to, and that's the Lord. And as simple as our altar may be, that little closet at home that we go in and close the door. When I was a young kid growing up in church, just a little kid growing up in church, I remember our pastor talking about how to pray. He said, listen, you've got to go close the closet. You know, little kids take everything literally. You know that? I remember I lived in Sheridan, 1333 Tyndall Street. My long-term memory is getting really good. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing this afternoon, but I, I can remember what happened when I was a kid this big. Is this Sunday or is it not? Uh, I remember I came home from church that night. The pastor talked about uh, going into the closet and praying. And you know what I did? You know what I did. I opened the closet door. I got in here and I thought, you know, it's really dark in here. And I said, I just wonder if he knew what he was talking about. I remember sitting down by my mother's Hoover vacuum cleaner. You talk about a long-term memory. You know, they have a special smell to them. You know that? <laughs> and I'm sitting in there, and I close the door. I didn't want to close it all the way. I left a little crack because I didn't know that it's not good to get trapped in there. And I said, well, okay, Lord, if this is where you want me to pray, I'll just do it here in the closet. Well, I didn't think that God had that in mind, but I had that on my mind. But that was my simple form of an altar, meeting with God. And there's one other thing I'll mention here this morning. He built an altar, and then in verse number 8, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And so there are two things that are prevalent in his journey here, an altar and a tent. And this is a good place to wind up everything for this morning because these are two things that you can take with you out of this church. We're only pilgrims in this world. 
Someone said one time, don't, don't drive your, peg, your tent pegs down very deeply because one of these days somebody will pull it up. Uh, we're tent dwellers in this world. We're just passing through. And uh, if, you have a, if you realize that and you realize, listen, I can't, I can't put my life into everything in this world, but I have an altar. And wherever I go, I'm going to make an altar. He pitched his tent between Bethel. You know what that means? The house of God. And you know what Ai means? It means a heap of ruins. And here we are in our pilgrimage. We pitch our tent between the house of God and the heap of ruins, what we want for our life in God and what we used to be outside of God. And here's our tent. We're right in the middle. And we're making our way through life. And every now and then we look to Ai, heap of ruins, the way we used to be before God met us. And then we look at Bethel, the house of God. And we think, boy, what a deal we made. What a deal we made. When Jesus forgave us of our sins, he gave us something to look forward to. Heaven. And our reward there. And uh, the Bible says that these saints of old didn't realize the promises of God. Abraham didn't get the land given to him. He just got the promise. But he pressed on with the promise of God. And I want to encourage you today, keep pressing on with the promise of God because it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Just one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder how many of us in the church have um, trusted Jesus as our Savior, given Him our life, so that we have something to look forward to and something to live for right now. A life with meaning and purpose. A life that uh, transcends the redundancy of this world. I wonder if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor John, I need Christ. I need a Savior. I've heard about him, what he can do for people, but I've never signed on. I've never come to him by faith, and I've never turned from my sins to Christ yet. But I'm thinking about it. I'd like to pray for you today that God will come to you and he will draw you to himself. If you're here in our church today and you need a Savior, would you slip your hand up and Put it down and let me remember you in this closing prayer. I won't embarrass you. Yes, God bless you. Is there another pastor? I need a Savior. I've never, I've never made this commitment of my life to Christ. But I know God is talking to me. Just slip it up and put it down. Yes, God bless you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your work in our world today. We thank you that we have a hope in Christ and, and that we have more to look forward to than just going to work on Monday. We have you to look forward to, the altar, the place that we can meet with you, and the place that we can run for refuge to find your peace and sanity in our world. I pray, Lord, for these who raise their hands in our church today, that you will come to them and bring them to you, Lord, that they may open their heart to you today in the church and receive you as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, please, as we sing our closing song. And as we do, I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to come and pray about it.